0: Hello and welcome, my name is Alex, I'm joined by Luca, and today we are once Hello. again going off-season. We've got a uh, whole episode focused on the Essendon Football Club for you today. It's uh, a club very close to my heart, obviously, having supported them for the better part of my entire life. Um, but it's, it's a spinner season marked by uh, controversy on and off-field, by changing over of hands by uh, PR statements that have not left anyone too particularly happy. And uh, we're here to discuss the list, the off field stuff, everything involved. Um, There's plenty of it to tackle today. Uh, and, And I'm ready. I'm ready.
1: Yeah, I am too. I've been, I've been thinking about Essendon way more than usual. I'm not nested in supporter by any stretch of the imagination, but sometimes it's just sort of like who does that? Who That's does sort that? sort of like like outside of the like twenty twenty, my usual thinking of Essendon in my free time usually just like sort of thinking of them very much in the frame of jest and you know, who does that?
0: I'm not gonna lie, even as a bomber supporter, I think about them in the frame of in a frame of jest probably more often than not. Um, especially in the year 2020. There's no reason not to. <laughs> uh, in the lead-up to this, Luca, you asked me to do some investigation, some investigative journalism.
1: Yeah, I feel like there was some... I feel like, you know, AFL journalists and reporters for, you know, the mainstream media sports coverage have been dropping little nuggets. mm been dropping breadcrumbs and you know just you know in the odd podcast in the odd report or episode of footy feed there's just been like a little asides which don't seem like too much they just seem like sort of insight into you know specific infighting or in disagreements or just general dysfunction mm. but um <clears throat> When you sort of stack them up, it paints quite a specific picture. And it paints a specific picture, which is very similar to how um, Brad Scott's exit was reportedly justified. Which Mm -hmm. was that he very much didn't see himself as a member of the club. Brad Scott saw himself as, you know, on the players' side. And Uh unfortunately, the club was very unimpressed because the players started to adopt this um, adopt this sort of attitude of it's us versus them. The players are separate to the club. We are, you know, even sometimes fighting them, fighting the power,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're not on the same side. <clears throat> and it seems like there's almost a social rift akin to that in Tullamarine.
0: Mm. I think this social rift has been around for quite a while. Uh, I think even since maybe the days of probably the uh, the supplement saga was what really kicked it off. And uh, the 2016, 2016 season certainly didn't help that at all. Um, so I've got, I've, I've kind of categorized uh, all the players on the playing list, including the ones that have already been delisted or retired uh, into, into a few specific groups. Some are bigger than others. Some are smaller than others. Some are a bit more mysterious than others. Um, but, I'll run through. We'll start We'll start from the very top. We've got the, the aptly named the Old Guard. Uh, these are the boys who have been around at the club the longest or are just the older players in the group. are very loyal to each other, probably consider themselves the most uh, Essendon people there, but also are very prone to a lot of uh, entitlement, I think, uh, at times. Um, the Old Guard is pretty much consisted of Tom Bell Chambers, Cale Hooker. Michael Hurley, Dev Smith uh, is in there. Dylan Sheel is uh, a floater in and out of that sort of group and Jake Stringer as well. Uh, these boys basically don't do anything other than uh, fish and play golf. Um, that's pretty much the high and low of it. Uh, that's their social activities.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I had to get a bolt on. I'm, uh, I'm making a bed.
0: Uh, yeah, no. go on, Continue, proceed. don't let me stop you. Uh, Zach Merritt is a bit on the outer of this group uh, He's in another group which I'll touch on later But he expressed some, uh, some uh, not, He wasn't particularly happy when Bell Chambers didn't get a uh, finale This final game in the final round of the season So I think he does associate with these boys in the old guard a fair bit um, did, did you name Heppel in this group? No, no. Dyson Heppel oh. I do not consider part of the old guy. He's part of a much smaller exclusive group, which I'll get to later. Okay. Um, Please do, do go on. This is already spicy. <laughs> uh, after that, we've got, we've got the Young Boys. Now, the Young Boys are probably the only group at the club who actually seem like a uh, functioning group of uh, social people within a football club. It's quite a big group, and they all seem to stick together uh, quite a lot. We've got in this group: Brayden Han, Kobe Much, Sam Draper, Matt Guelphy, Brandon Zirk, Thatcher, Josh Begley, Dylan Clark, Nick Bryan, and Noah Gown. Uh, there's a few of the young players which aren't quite a part of this group. I've labelled this other group the Outcasts? Question mark because they they are they are spotted at times with the young boys group, but other times they are more insular within themselves, which is comprised of Will Snelling, Ned Cahill. Harry Jones, Mason Redman, and Tom Hurd. Tom Hurd sometimes hangs around uh, some of the other young players too, but that's the, uh, the sort of inner and outer of the young boys group. Um, Brandon Zirk Thatcher, of course, was very close with Michael Hartley before he got uh, shipped off to the Hawks last year, but I think it goes to show that Brandon is a bit of a normal person that he can actually associate with, uh, <laughs> with people his own age and is right. a weirdo like some of the others at the club. Um, with the rest of the young boys, we've got the, uh, the so-called good boys. Uh, these are the guys that uh, have been giving a lot of their time to making the club look good officially. Um, Kyle Langford is the one that really tops off this group, who's been very active uh, in a lot of the club's uh, media recently, I think mainly because, as I said, he is one of the quote-unquote good boys. Uh, Andy McGrath, Darcy Parrish, Aaron Francis, and Jordan Ridley also make up this group. They do sometimes associate with the young boys, um, but they are sort of a separate sect of their own. We've got the Sesh Heads, <laughs> who are probably the most eclectic group of the bunch, uh, made up of a quite small group that's now pretty much been torn apart by deal listings and retirements. Uh, Jaden Laverde, Connor McKenna, Paddy Ambrose, and Sean McKernan. Four names you probably wouldn't expect to hear altogether. No, um, that's a very interesting group. Yeah, these are the boys. And also, that... very
1: very varying ages. Usually, the mm. session heads tend to be the younger players.
0: Yeah, well, like Laverde and uh, McKenna, you would expect to be the two sort of like this. Uh, but yeah, Ambrose and McKernan sort of are uh, part of this group as well. We've got the, uh, they're not really much of a group, but uh, the people who the people who uh, only, only hang out with their girlfriend slash wife, um, which is the group that Dyson Heppel is in, doesn't seem okay. to associate very much with the other uh, boys. Uh, Andy Phillips is another one of those. And Jacob Townsend, sort of, sort of not. The Giants boys seem to stick together a little bit as well. So that would be a, sort of a Venn diagram on the outside with uh, Smith, Shield, Phillips and Townsend. All right. Then we've got the disgruntled group. Uh, this is comprised mainly of the, uh, the Joe Danaher and his, uh, his mates. We know Danaher there's a lot of people outside the club, um, but this also includes Zach Merritt, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody and Orazio Fantasia uh, with a question mark over that one. Raz could be another one who is more on the outer um, and has mates outside of footy. Then we just have the aptly named Hates Everyone group, which is not really a group. Uh, They just don't hang out with anyone from the club, seemingly. Marty Gleeson, I've established before, doesn't particularly uh, have (laughs) close relationships with anyone in the club, it seems like. David Zarakis seems to hang out with his family more than anyone else. And Tom Cutler is a complete mystery. I think he's still more uh, in line with his Brisbane uh, mates than anyone else at the Bombers. He's never. Mm-hmm. He does Hasn't seemed to have settled in particularly well. Um, but that's sort of the social divide within what, the club. What about what about Jimmy Stewart? Stewart, that is a good one. I think he is part of that Giants periphery. Um, yeah. I think he does also hang out with uh, Townsend and those those kind of guys.
1: I, I do see him. I do see him hanging out with Raz in South Yarra quite often.
0: Yes. Yes. I think that might be a. Uh, Stuart could join in that little disgruntled. He could group, be I guess. disgruntled. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the that's about six or seven groups that exist sort of within the club. Um, and I think it's just indicative of the culture being a bit fractured. And as I said, it has been for multiple years now. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts on why this has become such an issue within the club.
1: I think. One thing that uh, happened with Essendon was after the supplement scandal, you had so many players who straight up hated the club and mm-hmm. didn't want to come back, like Hibbard and uh, Monfries. And basically there was the, ex- there was the good player exodus. Mm-hmm. Essendon had a lot of good players that straight up decided, we don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And this was. What's going on here?
0: Sorry. I'm was, listening. I'm, I'm listening. making a bed. My ears are wide open.
1: So, there was this exodus of players, and there was an introduction of all these supplement players. And I feel like. There were some players that stayed in Essendon but still harboured quite a lot of resentment for the club. And then mm-hmm. there were players that came just in time to sort of feel no ill will for the club. Mm-hmm. Andy McGrath, Kyle Lankford, Darcy Parish. These guys got into the club in the sweet spot of expectations were still high. The club was still one of the big established Victorian clubs and they enjoyed all the perks of that with none of the resentment that the older guys had. Mm-hmm. And this is why we are seeing that that very specific group of people that you said were the good boys mm-hmm. all were drafted in the same one or two years and they're all your best players.
0: It's definitely no coincidence I think uh, that these guys are the one. Like I said, especially with Langford, I've noticed it particularly egregiously that he's the one that's sort of the face of uh, the playing group or the young playing group, I suppose, in our social media at the moment, Um, which (laughs) it does concern me with other sort of PR quote-unquote statements that have been made recently. The message to the members from Paul Brasher uh, our new president that is fucking disgraceful. It's basically him talking for about 20 minutes about. Look, he addresses important things. He talks about how, uh, you know, it's we're moving into a new era and, you know, standards have maybe not been as acceptable in the past. Um, but then listening to Dan Richardson on uh, SEN last week when he basically all but. Uh, called Adam Saad unprofessional and not committed for leaving the club, paints a terrible picture of the inner workings of our football department.
1: Dan Richardson, that's a very interesting name that you bring up. I feel like in recent years, there have been a lot of faces of football club development. Mm-hmm. Do you remember before Brett Ratten was, was appointed and when the Saints were still not on the up, but they were, they were in the improvement bubble.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: Saints were in the improvement bubble where they could be anything, give them a few years, but right now they are building their war chest to make a push to something special. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that sort of error? Yeah. The face, every move they made in that era was reported through like the workings and through the attitude and the media interactions of Simon Leflin. Simon was had a real sort of American sport GM role at St. Kilda. He wasn't the coach. He wasn't the list manager, but he had a say in everything that happened. And I think all of the clubs that have sort of, been getting better in the last few years, have had this face of this figurehead is leading the club.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Essendon have one of the most elusive staff lists of any team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you're trying to figure out who is calling the shots, it's incredibly, incredibly confusing because Dan Richardson, is that his name, sorry? Yes you don't hear him much when you look at him on, like when you try to find reports on him, there's something he said a week ago, something he said three years ago, and then his job being filled three years ago. Mm -hmm. And when you look up a sort of more traditional director of football job, like um, somebody like Graham Wright at, um, Mm at Hawthorne, who's sort of the left of Hawthorne, who isn't a coach, isn't particularly a list manager specifically, but calls a lot of shots about accumulating the list and figuring out how they're going to play and whether you know they're looking to improve in blood players or make it into the eight. And you have Simon Madden on the board, supposedly in a sort of football role.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and then everybody else on the board are like, Older than the fucking game of poker, and they were around when Kevin Sheedy was the coach. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to some people who know some of the inner workings of Essendon, and apparently, this sort of ambiguous sharing of distribution of power and this ambiguous distribution of authority, where you don't know if Dodoro. Wersfold, Madden, or Richardson is having the final say. It's this sort of groupthink, pistiche-like chain of command where it's almost like there's no conceivable reality where factions wouldn't form mm-hmm. because you don't have one leader and you don't have one engine. And from hearing, talking to some people who have an inkling of the inner machinations of the Essen Football Club, this is because the old guard of the board of directors who were around when Kevin Sheedy was there felt usurped and they felt like Mm -hmm. Sheedy became every single role in the club and everything that didn't happen off the field was under Sheedy's thumb. And as soon as they got rid of him, they thought no one person is ever going to have that authority in this club ever, 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 ever again. Mm -hmm. So they went out of their way to undermine list management, coaching, and general manager jobs so they have less power and less authority.
0: Yeah. Look, I think we don't even need to speculate on that. I think that stuff is all pretty well documented at this point. Uh, It's been been a week and a half now since this statement came out, but there was a former former, uh, monsieur and trainer at the club Craig Yorston, who worked there for the good part of 30 years, and he made quite a long and extensive uh, articulate Facebook post regarding the inner workings of the club and the culture around it. Uh, And it's quite damning stuff, um, talking about how basically, aside from the, like you said, that top echelon, any staff lower than that was basically turned around as quickly as possible and has been over the past 20 years, weeding out the people who were probably the, you know, every club has its quote unquote club people, the Essendon people. Mm. Um, and that, that, that it's culture has been. Like that Western been... Bulldogs doctor with the
1: funny mustache. Exactly. Been exactly. Since, exactly. Exactly like, like that. Um,
0: but that's been weeded out slowly, slowly uh, through the past 20 years or so. Um, and he speaks of a whole incredibly toxic culture um, within the club. Junior staff are afraid to speak out against anything they disagree with for fear of losing their job because the, uh, the top level staff just has that much control and sway uh, over the club. Um, people who've given volunteer time and life service to the club, basically are being treated as incredibly disposable. Um, it's, it, it it paints a horrible horrible picture of the inner workings of the club. It's um it's Dan. It, it
1: that that comes across to me. As, yeah, that's that's horrible. But the thing is, it's not beyond the realms of imagination. Like I can picture it very lucidly. Yeah. I can picture a very large Victorian club who became so sort of content and satisfied with their crazy success. Because Essendon are a very successful football club. When you think about popular, popularity, follow and Longwood have mostly been up there, Richmond have had their up and downs, have mostly been down as well as being up. And Essendon's been sort of like Collingwood in the fact that they've never really been, except for like the last five years, down bottom. Mm -hmm. They've been one of those clubs that up until recently were always up there. They had a very, very strong and loyal supporter base. So this just seems like the...
0: You're like totally cut out there for a good 10 seconds. Did I finish my sentence at least? No. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, it's it's funny because I thought you were just like silent by what I said. (laughs) But I said... I said the toxic culture and the sort of holier than thou attitude that the um, upper echelon of staff take where everyone else is disposable seems to be a byproduct of decades of drinking their own urine
0: yeah i don't think that's um that's an outrageous claim at all uh, it's it's become from the sounds of this statement business first football club second um, and they're more concerned about keeping that, I guess it must be steady profit where they don't have to take risks in any sense of the word. Um, they, I think they, they, it's gotten to the point where now uh, I think members have stopped being pleased by this whole, you know, the past few years have been this huge trade targeting. You know, they identify these guys who maybe weren't even the biggest names in the AFL, but the club sort of makes them out to be the be-all and end-all target. And we did that. We've done that for the past, you know, three years before 2019. And I think it was clear that that was a strategy. I think to uh, appease members, get general opinion. I think of the club to you know, we had that whole by the end of 2018. You know, media headlines are saying Essendon's a destination club. they've this shocking turnaround so quickly. Blah blah blah, all that. And at this point now in 2020, it seems like it was nothing more than once again a PR move to make the club look better than it actually is. And when you sign a big free agent, when you
1: make a blockbuster trade, you get members the next year. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the business side. That's the, that's the source of income. Bums on yep. the seats is the way that the
0: clubs make money. Mm-hmm. And also just and, keeping the S and the name in the general media coverage as long as they can.
1: <laughs> and then the funny thing about that is I, I feel like Dylan Scheel is probably the, the smoking gun when it became very obvious Devin hmm. Smith, Jake Stringer, and Adam Saad. I remember that year. If I heard another report about, you know, Adrian Dodora, I was going to bite the fucking curb and hope a car ran me over. But the Dylan Shield one seemed to be the most spectacular to me because I feel like Dylan Shield was so obviously the wrong fit for the club. Mm-hmm. Dylan Shield was so obviously not the midfielder that you guys needed. And Essendon didn't even seem to be in the mix to secure Shield services until months of Carlton and Hawthorne being the front runners. It almost seemed like Essendon swooped in and secured Shield just so they could say, "We won." Yeah, everyone wanted him, but we got him because we're the best. Even though a much lesser, not much lesser, but uh player that doesn 't have a household name who plays a different sort of role would have made your football club a much better place
0: mm-hmm. yeah I know i think I think you 're right with that, and I think even delving further into that, I think we purposefully don 't enter the race for players that we think are not a certain thing, um, like you said with shield swooping in at the last second there 's a reason why the club has not said anything on the likes of Dugowie or Crouch or Cameron or any of those. I think we identify those trade targets as soon as we think they're basically a certain thing. And you look at the fallout from Danaher, the Danaher trade not going through last year. It seems like the kind of thing that the club's been desperately trying to avoid since 2016. Um, And... Once again, it's definitely a strategy. It's something that they are 100% uh, doing as a, you know, we land everyone we go for because we have the best list management in the league, even though Adrian Dora is the most maligned list manager in the league. And I think one of the most,
1: um, I believe he lacks the most identity.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the know, only identity associated with him is, like, intensely negative. Taking care of business. <laughs> yeah. Being hard to deal with from other clubs. You know?
1: You know, it's like how apparently Steven Wells, he likes the really nice guys, and that's, like, his sort of thing, and that's his identity of list management. We just want to make a family. And then Graham Wright, like, you know, I feel like Hawthorne, we really, we really target... Players who might have increased in val- who might have decreased in value because of injuries, mm-hmm. but um, uh, we think we can get them at a bargain and fix their bodies we also Graham Wright also seems to sort of go after the I, f- I think we have the most ambidextrous players in the competition or we did at some point and we also really like the footy the footy IQ picks like mm-hmm. when you know People are writing draft notes about a kid who's like, you know, 173 centimeters, but he can kick like a dart in every single direction from every side of his body. He Mm -hmm. makes really good decisions and everyone's like, not much to his game, doesn't rack up many disposals, probably a few years until he's ready for the AFL, but he's a player that Clarko would like. (laughs) That sort of shit. I feel like Dodoro, the only identity that Dodoro has is drafting players that aren't tall enough.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I'd I'd say that's correct <laughs> in terms of list management, absolutely.
1: But speaking of the draft, we've covered now why we think Essendon is like this mm. and we've covered now how it has affected the last few years in terms of off-field, the club, the culture, the staff and the list. Let's sort of transition now into... What's the next step? Mm. What, are, what are our steps for fixing the clubs?
0: Yeah. Well, look, the first step I think is already being taken. Um, we talked about the good boys before. They're the guys that need to be locked in, and they, they are being locked in slowly. McGrath signed two more years. Ridley signed four years. Uh, the guys who clearly bleed for the club are the next step. Will Snelling has still not been offered a contract uh, for 2021, and he clearly is one of the hardest workers at the club at the moment. I think um, Langford being
1: one of your first re-signings was a really great um, sign because Langford definitely wasn't your best player this year, but I mm-hmm. think he was after Jordan Ridley, one of your most improved.
0: Yeah, I would say and, so.
1: And I think the, the the commitment to re-signing him quickly. Mm-hmm. And not waiting for trades to happen, not waiting for interest in free agency. Re-signing Ridley and Lankford before the offseason officially started is an incredible, it, I think it's a very underrated move. Yeah. I think players get very insecure when the more time you leave them unresigned signed and it makes them feel, what if they don't like me, which is fair. I'm if I played in the AFL, I would be the most insecure AFL player. And all I would think about is why aren't they put in, why, why are they putting shit on my desk? Why are they low mm-hmm. me? And why are they waiting so long?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next step after that is maximizing value for these guys that want to leave. Um, Obviously, there's plenty of guys that are on the trade table already and have identified that they want out. Saad is gone. Danaher is gone. Fantasia is all but gone. Uh, the deal is obviously just way less public and high profile. Um, if these guys are leaving, we need to identify what's the most we can get for them without playing way too much hardball, uh, as Dodoro likes to do. So maximizing value, getting those picks is the next priority because there is some serious talent in this 2020 draft ball. There's some serious talent
1: and there's some very rare talent
0: as well. Mm.
1: It's a very tall draft, which is great for rebuilding. And I think, the, I think the, the way that you split up the playing group is an excellent way to look at the club because I feel like it makes it very obvious, the players, that you can move on and delist. And I feel like there's already been delistings in what you described as the outer young guys and the sesh heads. Yeah. It's already seems like those guys have been singled out because of their attitudes And because of their social circles and they're already getting sort of ushered out of the door. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a very easy framework of who are we keeping and who are we moving on that's already being followed. But I Mm -hmm. think you're exactly right. The disgruntled players who are leaving, you can't play hardball and keep them anymore Mm -hmm. because them being around is going to bum everyone out. Just, yeah, just plain and simple. But you're not Gold Coast. You can't let them go to the preseason draft for pride. Because mm-hmm. Gold Coast letting Jack Martin go to the preseason draft, I thought, was very important to them and for the pride that they take in themselves. And because they had a healthy list already, they had fantastic young talent already. For them, it was about we're sticking up for ourselves and we're not taking Steven Silvani's shit. You don't have time for that at Essendon. You yeah. need to get as much as you can for these guys and you need to start looking for the draft
0: Mm -hmm. I think then after that uh, there's obviously big names on the market as one of the quote-unquote big Victorian clubs we're going to want to look at these big names I think it's going to be a matter of identifying who is the most gettable a not making it so public as always Um, it does not need to be a stunt, a media stunt that we're landing a big fish. If it's going to happen, get it done behind closed doors, talk to managers, don't let Dodoro um, ruin the club's reputation again. Um, If you want Jeremy Cameron, talk to Jeremy Cameron's manager, figure out what money he wants, figure out who's in the running and identify whether it's worth it or not. If we don't land any big fish, I don't think, I I, I would not complain if we didn't. I don't think that should be number one
1: priority. Do you think your chase for big fish should have an age limit on it? Seeing as though you seem like a club that is going
0: through a rolling soft rebuild. Mm-hmm. Anyone over 26 probably should not be a target. Yeah, I agree. I, Anyone I agree who's that. not going to be in their prime in the next, you know, three, four years should not be a target at all.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think rebuilding lists is all about identifying your next realistic premiership window mm-hmm. and I think usually that's identifying the nucleus of your best players who are going to stick around for a while yeah and when they're
0: going to be in their prime mm-hmm. it was quiet news today um but we have uh, approached the dogs and asked about a few players including Jack McRae uh it is I think it was just more of a sussing out kind of deal but McRae is more the kind of player that I would be hoping we are looking at as opposed to a Jeremy Cameron or Brad Crouch, uh, a hard yeah. worker who is clearly dedicated to the club that he's at and would be dedicated anywhere he went. Um, will we get him? Probably not. I think it was just a due diligence um, asking around all the players that fit our bracket. Um, but I don't mind that as a first step into looking and, at trade targets. And that's a great, that's a great
1: indicator what, what the criteria that you're after is. Mm-hmm. So it seems that already sort of correct steps are being taken. Yeah. I feel like there's another step there. Mm -hmm. When you identified all of the social circles in the Essendon list, I didn't like the fact that Dyson Heppel seemed to really keep to himself outside of the club. Obviously what these players do is none of anyone else's business. Mm -hmm. But for a while, I think... um, Dyson Heppel's ability as a captain have not been above question. I Mm -hmm. think that for a club that's in this state that Essendon is in, maybe he is too easygoing. And the reports that Zach Merritt was kicked out of the leadership group for asking too much of his players, I think that's the sort of thing that the captain should be doing. And I think that's the sort of thing that the captain should be rewarding in his leaders Mm -hmm. for asking too much. Because there's no such thing as too much. Yeah, I, but I agree. Is, but I doubt Zach was asking actually too much, no. so I think um, maybe you can invent incentivize merit to stay because mm-hmm. merit is sort of rumored to want to leave. Maybe a way that you could incentivize merit to stay is by giving him the keys to the list and saying, "You're the club. You choose the you know the leadership group, and you can take this team in the direction that you want, mm-hmm. where you don't have to." you know, wipe the old guards' asses because they seem to be very entitled and not wanting to do more than they think they should have to.
0: I think it's no surprise that Zach Merritt's uh, main idol and, I guess, uh, guy that he learned off at the club was Brendan Goddard for the longest time. Um, And now that those reports are coming out, that also doesn't surprise me. But I think Zach is doing the right thing. We could absolutely use a player like Brendan Goddard in that leadership group at the moment, who does ask, even if he does ask too much to the teammates, that's what he's there for. He's yeah. there to push them and the team needs someone to push them uh, at the moment. So I think if the club make the right decision and identify what they need to do to get Zach to stay and be happy at the club, absolutely. If not our leadership, if not the captaincy, our leadership role, absolutely he needs to be back in there doing that. And, and if Merritt does leave, I think
1: Andy McGrath, is the person who you need to move the, um, the captain's band to, yeah, as it is in association football. Um, I, I think that Heppel's number as the captain must be up. Mm-hmm. There needs to be harder leadership at Essendon, the yeah. young players who still, you know, don't know what sort of AFL player they're going to be mm-hmm. need to be told that they're going
0: to be the fucking hardworking ones. Yeah. Um, And then I suppose the final step coming towards the draft is we have identified, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, hard reports or just rumours at the moment, but I have heard that we have identified Logan McDonald as a key player that we are interested in. Now, you are very uh, intent on McDonald being a top three or two pick. He's going to go that high pick. Um, So if we want to get that pick, we're going to have to play hard and trade picks up. So I think to be aggressive in getting picks and trading them on is going to be key uh, in this first round. I think this is the exact sort of draft
1: where plays uh, where teams can move up the draft, which mm-hmm. is the interesting thing. And it's going to make this trade period incredibly spicy because you have multiple teams with multiple uh, first round draft picks. Mm-hmm. Brisbane with, the, um, with two first rounders. Geelong with... I think what'll end up being three Mm -hmm. Um, uh, North Melbourne, what I think will end up being two or three and Adelaide with currently two, but looks like it's going to be three. Mm -hmm. These are clubs that you can, these are clubs that are all going to want to shuffle their picks around and identify how many plays they want and um, maybe maximize some of the potentials of their earlier picks yeah. Geelong comes across as a team to me that doesn't need three first-round draft picks. They mm-hmm. just want to cash those three in and get the one best player they can get. Yeah. North Melbourne to me seems like the opposite. Do they would they like to take pick two to the draft? Sure. Would they rather have six and seven or seven and eight? Of course they would.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think, you know, the one-two punches of Caldwell, Haitley. Francis Parrish, Hunter Clark, Nick Caulfield have been very, very... It, it's proven that the back-to-back picks in the top 10, in the in later in the top 10, is a great way to draft. and It's a great way mm-hmm. to get more talent instead of one slightly higher quality talent. Because yeah. in that top 10, in that top 15, some drafts even... The talent is all around the same area. It's just about getting the type of player you want and unlocking the potential.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, And I think even if, even if, uh, you know, Dodoro starts speaking to the Brisbane, uh, the Brisbane um, list managers and they say, look, we'll give you these picks and they might be less than what Dodoro thinks Brisbane is worth. But if it's been worked out already that those picks can be on traded for a higher one, I think at some point uh, maybe this will be the year that we'll see the actually um, negotiate a little bit and say, at what point does it become worth it for Danaher to be out for these young talented kids um, and not necessarily what the pick value is worth, but more what we get as a club from those draft picks that we could trade up to. So I think maybe the draft pick deals might be the things that need to get done first. If we do want Logan McDonald, we need to work that out first and then let the dominoes fall.
1: I think the, the, the other players that you guys really need to sort out is um, you need to have your priorities right after Logan McDonald. Mm-hmm. Because if Logan, if Jamara Uglehagen is taken at pick one, by the Western Bulldogs, and then Adelaide have the next pick, they will take Logan McDonald. Mm -hmm. McDonald would be pick two. Yeah. I can see situations where Riley Philthorpe or Elijah Hollins is taken, Mm -hmm. but they're less likely than McDonald, in my opinion. Yeah. I think Zach Reed is the absolute perfect fit for Essendon. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think pairing Zach Reed with a really cerebral, well-kicking midfielder like Tanner Brun would be fantastic. And with a later first-round pick or an early second-round pick, grabbing guys that will be able to play midfield time next year or the year after, like Zane True or Nathan O'Driscoll, those are real hard-nosed
0: midfielders who are going to be ready for AFL immediately in Mm -hmm. certain teams. Yeah well I think that's that's about all the notes that I have for this episode. Um, yeah. Is there anything all, else you want to cover?
1: Those are all my thoughts on Esidad, to be honest. I think um, you need they need to use their highest value picks on um, tall timber and then maybe some of their later premium picks on these sort of um not, Tanner Brunner is not a larger midfielder, but Zane True and Nathan O'Driscoll are definitely players that will be able to break into the side fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Also a, 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 a genuine apprentice Ruckman. Uh, no slide on Nick Bryan, but I think that uh, a play for Henry Walsh or Nicholas Cox would be really good to have a sort of genuine, a real A-grade Ruck talent developing under draper who if need be could be called up in the next two three years
0: mm-hmm. i mean look more ruck more be... ruck depths that absolutely couldn't hurt like
1: but 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 it's not just ruck depth henry walsh and nick cox are very much in the tim english family of mm-hmm. give him a they don't need five years they could probably play in two or three
0: yeah I guess it just depends if we uh, identify from a strategy point of view, if we need two rucks uh, in the in the 22. I think it's been a long time since we've done two rucks that are of that quality, I suppose. Um, McKernan I and Bell Chambers think... or Phillips are only playing with Draper this year to provide mm-hmm. him that support, I think.
1: I don't think Phillips and Draper are quite there yet in playing key position roles. Mm -hmm. So I can't really justify um, you guys playing two rucks for the time being. But Draper, I feel like Draper could develop really well into a ruckman who can rest forward or rest back because I think he is a really great um, field mark Mm -hmm. and I think he works well up the ground.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think that is all we have this episode of Going Off Season. We're getting closer and closer to the actual off, off season. <laughs>
1: well, well, I think for a lot of people, the off season has started because mm. a Geelong Cats and West and West Coast Richmond Tigers grand final seems to be almost not even a grand final.
0: Just going to uh, boycott the game, I think. And... Going to boycott
1: the game. <laughs> that's,
0: that's not my grand final. <laughs> the trade period starts on the 9th of November, I believe it is. And wow, the that's very soon. It is very soon. The draft is not for another month after that uh, at the start of December. But we will keep bringing you more episodes like these in the lead-up to those two. I assume we'll start focusing more on trades as we get closer and closer to it. But, um, yeah, that's been this episode. We still don't have an outro. That's all I can talk about for Essendon for the next
1: month. I'm going to get <laughs> really mentally ill.
0: I don't. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Um, I'm done talking about them too. So this is done. That's a wrap.